We're taking up at chapter 47, Delivery of the Message of Krishna to the Gopis. When the Gopis saw Uddhava, they observed that his features almost exactly resembled those of Krishna, and they could understand that he was a great devotee of Krishna's. His arms were very long, and his eyes were just like the petals of a lotus flower. He was dressed in yellow garments and wore a garland of lotus flowers. He was dressed in yellow garments and wore a garland of lotus flowers. His face was very beautiful. Having achieved the liberation of Sarupya and thus having the same bodily features as the Lord, Uddhava looked almost like Krishna. In Krishna's absence, the gopis had been coming dutifully to visit Mother Yashoda's house early in the morning. They knew that Nanda Maharaj and Mother Yashoda were always grief-stricken, and they had made it their first duty to come and pay their respects to the most exalted elderly personalities of Vrindavan. Seeing the friends of Krishna, Nanda and Yashoda would remember Krishna himself and be satisfied, and the gopis also would be pleased by seeing Nanda and Yashoda. When the gopis saw that Uddhava was representing Krishna, even in his bodily features, they thought he must be a soul completely surrendered unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They began to contemplate, who is this boy who looks just like Krishna? He has the same eyes like the lotus petals, the same raised nose and beautiful face, and he is smiling in the same way. In all respects, he resembles Krishna, Shamasundar, the beautiful blackish boy. He is even dressed exactly like Krishna. Where has this boy come from? Who is the fortunate girl who has him for her husband? Thus, they talked among themselves. They were very anxious to know about him, and because they were simple, unsophisticated village girls, they surrounded Uddhava. When the gopis understood that Uddhava had a message from Krishna, they became very happy and called him to a secluded place and offered him a nice sitting place. They wanted to talk with him very freely and did not want to be embarrassed before unknown persons. They welcomed him with polite words and great submissiveness. We know that you are a most confidential associate of Krishna and that he has therefore sent you to Vrindavan to give solace to his father and mother. We can understand that family affection is very strong. Even great sages who have taken the renounced to the renounced order of life cannot give up family affection cent per cent. Sometimes they think of their family members. Krishna has therefore sent you to his father and mother. Otherwise, he has no further business in Vrindavan. He is, now, he is now in town. What does he have to know about Vrindavan village or the cow's pasturing grounds? These are not at all useful for Krishna because he is now a man of the city. Surely he has nothing to do with persons who do not happen to be his family members. Friendships with those outside the family continue as long as there is some selfish interest in them. Otherwise, why should one bother about those outside the family? Specifically, a person attached to the wives of others is interested in them 
as long as there is a need of sense gratification, just as bumblebees have interest in flowers as long as they want to take the honey out of them. It is psychologically very natural that a prostitute does not care for her paramour as soon as he loses his money. Similarly, when the citizens find that a government is incapable of giving them full protection, they leave the country. A student, after finishing his education, gives up his relationship with the teacher and the school. A priest, after taking his reward from the worshiper, gives him up. When the fruit season is over, birds are no longer interested in the tree. Just after eating in the house of a host, the guest gives up his relationship with him. After a forest fire, when there is a scarcity of green grass, deer and other animals give up the florist. And so a man, after enjoying his girlfriend, gives up his connection with her. In this way, all the gopis indirectly accused Krishna by citing many examples. Uddhava understood that the gopis of Vrindavan were all simply absorbed in the thought of Krishna and his childhood activities. While talking about Krishna with Uddhava, they forgot all about their household business. They even forgot about themselves as their interest in Krishna increased more and more. One of the gopis named Srimati Radharani was so much absorbed in thoughts of Krishna by dint of her personal touch with him that she actually began to talk with a bumblebee which was flying there and trying to touch her lotus feet. While the other gopis were talking with Krishna's messenger, Uddhava, Srimati Radharani took that bumblebee to be a messenger from Krishna and began to talk with it as follows. Bumblebee, you're accustomed to drinking honey from flower to flower, and therefore you have preferred to be a messenger of Krishna, who is of the same nature as you. I can see on your mustaches the red powder of kumkum which was smeared on the flower garland of Krishna while it was pressed against the breasts of some other girl who is my competitor. You feel very proud because of having touched that garland and your mustaches have become reddish. You have come here carrying a message for me, anxious to touch my feet. But, my dear bumblebee, let me warn you, don't touch me. I don't want any messages from your unreliable master. You are the unreliable servant of an unreliable master. It may be that Srimati Radharani purposefully addressed the bumblebee sarcastically in order to indirectly criticize the messenger, Uddhava. Like the other gopis, Srimati Radharani saw that Uddhava's bodily features resembled Krishna's but she also saw Uddhava as being equal to Krishna. Indirectly, therefore, she indicated that the Uddhava was as unreliable as Krishna himself. Srimati Radharani wanted to give specific reasons why she was dissatisfied with Krishna and his messenger. She addressed the bumblebee, Your master Krishna is exactly of your quality. You sit down in a flower, and after tasting a little honey, you immediately fly away and sit on another flower and taste. Similarly, only once did your master give Krishna give me the chance to taste the touch of his lips, and then he left me altogether. I know also that the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, who is always in the midst of the lotus flower, is constantly engaged in Krishna's service. 
but I do not know how she has become so captivated by Krishna and why she is so much attached to Krishna, although she knows his actual character. Maybe she is so much captivated by Krishna's sweet words that she cannot understand his real character. As far as we are concerned, we are more intelligent than the goddess of fortune. We are not going to be cheated anymore by Krishna or his messengers. According to expert opinion, Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune, is a subordinate expansion of Srimati Radharani. As Krishna has numerous expansions of Vishnu Murtis, so his pleasure potency, Radharani, also has innumerable expansions of goddesses of fortune. Therefore, the goddess of fortune, Lakshmiji, is always eager to be elevated to the position of the gopis. Srimati Radharani continued, You foolish bumblebee, you're trying to satisfy me and get a reward by singing the glories of Krishna, but it is a useless attempt. We gopis are bereft of all our possessions. We are away from our homes and families. We know very well about Krishna. We know even more than you. So whatever you make up about him will be old stories to us. Krishna is now in the city and is better known as the friend of Arjuna. He now has many new girlfriends who are no doubt very happy in his association because the lusty burning sensation of their breasts has been satisfied by Krishna. They are now happy. If you go there and glorify Krishna, they may be pleased to reward you. You are just trying to pacify me by your behavior as a flatterer and therefore you have put your head under my feet. But I... But I know the trick you are trying to play. I know that you are a messenger coming from an even greater trickster, Krishna. Therefore, please leave me. I can understand that you are expert in reuniting two opposing parties, but at the same time, you must know that I cannot place my reliance upon you nor upon your master, Krishna. We left our husbands, children, and relatives only for Krishna, Yet he did not feel any obligation in exchange. At last he left us forlorn. Do you think we can place our faith in him again? We know that Krishna cannot live for a moment without the association of young women. That is his nature. He is finding difficulty in Mathura because he is no longer in the village among innocent cowherd girls. He is an aristocratic. He is in aristocratic society and must be feeling difficulty in making friendships with other young girls. Perhaps you have come here to canvas again or to take us there. But why should Krishna expect us to go there? He is greatly qualified to entice all other girls, not only in Vrindavan and Mathura, but all over the uni- but all over the universe. His wonderfully enchanting smile is so attractive and the movements of his eyebrows are so beautiful that he can call for any woman from the heavenly, middle, or plutonic planets. Even Mahalakshmi, the greatest of all goddesses of fortune, hankers to render him some service. In comparison to all these women of the universe, what are we? We are insignificant. We are very insignificant. Krishna advertises himself as magnanimous and he is praised by great saints. 
His qualifications would be perfectly utilized if he would only show us some mercy. For we are so much downtrodden and neglected by him. You poor messenger, you were only a less intelligent servant. You do not know much about Krishna, how ungrateful and hard-hearted he has been, not only in this life but in his previous lives also. We have all heard this from our grandmother, Purnamasi. She has informed us that Krishna was born in a Chatriya family previous to this birth and was known as Ramachandra. In that birth, instead of killing Vali, an enemy of his friend, <clears throat> in the manner of a Chatriya, he killed him just like a hunter. A hunter takes a secure hiding place and then kills an animal without facing it. So Lord Ramachandra, as a Chatriya, should have fought with Bali face to face, but instigated by his friend, he killed him from behind a tree. Thus he deviated from the religious principles as a, of a Chatriya. <clears throat> also, he was so attracted by the beauty of Sita that he converted Shurpanaka, the sister of Ravana, into an ugly woman by cutting off her nose and ears. Shurpanaka proposed an intimate relationship with him, and as a Chatri, he should have satisfied her, but he was so henpecked that he could not forget Sita Devi and converted Shurnapaka into an ugly woman. Before that birth as a Chatriya, he took his birth as a Brahmana boy, known as Vamanadev, and asked charity from Bali Maharaj. Bali Maharaj was so magnanimous that he gave him whatever he had. Yet Krishna, as Vamanadev, ungratefully arrested him just like a crow and pushed him down to the Patala system kingdom. We all know about Krishna and how ungrateful he is, but here is the difficulty. In spite of his being so cruel and hard-hearted, it is very difficult for us to give up talking about him. And it is not only we who are unable to give up this talk, but great sages and saintly persons also engage in talking about him. We gopis of Vrindavan do not want to make any more friendships with this blackish boy. But we do not know how we shall be able to give up remembering and talking about his activities. Since Krishna is absolute, his so-called unkind activities are as relishable as his kind activities. Therefore, saintly persons and great devotees like the gopis cannot give up Krishna in any circumstances. Lord Chaitanya therefore prayed, Krishna, you are free and independent in all respects. You can either embrace me or crush me under your feet, whatever you like. You may make me broken-hearted by not letting me see you throughout my whole life, but you are my only object of love. In my opinion, Srimati Radharani continued, no one should hear about Krishna, because as soon as a drop of nectar because as soon as the, a drop of the nectar of his transcendental activities is poured into the ear, one immediately rises above the duality of attraction and rejection. Being completely freed 
from the contamination of material attachment, one gives up attachment for this material world, including family, home, wife, children, and everything else materially dear to every person. Being deprived of all material acquisitions, one makes his relatives and himself unhappy. Then he wanders in search of Krishna, either as a human being or in other species of life, even as a bird, a volu and voluntarily accepts the profession of a mendicant. It is very difficult to actually understand Krishna, his name, his qualities, his form, his pastimes, his paraphernalia, and his entourage. Shimati Radharani continued to speak to the black messenger of Krishna. Please, do not talk any more about Krishna. It is better to talk about some, something else. We are already doomed, like the black-spotted she-deer in the forest who are enchanted by the sweet musical vibration of the hunter. In the same way, we have been enchanted by the sweet words of Krishna, and by thinking of the rays of his toenails again and again, we are becoming more and more lusty for his association. Therefore, I request you not to talk of Krishna anymore. These talks of Radharani with the bumblebee messenger, including her accusing Krishna in so many ways, and at the same time expressing her inability to give up talking about him, are signs of the topmost transcendental ecstasy called Mahabhava. The ecstatic Mahabhava manifestation is possible only in the persons of Radharani and her associates. Great Acharyas like Srila Rupa Goswami and Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur have analyzed these Mahabhava speeches of Srimati Radharani and described their different varieties, such as Udgurna, or bewilderment, and Jalpa Pratijalpa, or talking in different ways. These are the signs of Ujjwala Rasa, or the brightest jewel of love of God. While Radharani was talking with the bee, and the bee was flying hither and thither, all of a, it all of a sudden disappeared from her sight. She was in full mourning due to separation from Krishna and felt ecstasy by talking with the bee. But as soon as the bee disappeared, she became almost mad, thinking that the messenger bee might have returned to Krishna to inform him all about her talking against him. Krishna must be very sorry to hear it, she thought. In this way, she was overwhelmed by another type of ecstasy. In the meantime, the bee, flying hither and thither, appeared before her again. She thought, Krishna is still kind to me. In spite of the messengers carrying destructive messages, he is so kind that he has again sent the bee to take me to him. Shimati Radharani was very careful this time not to say anything against Krishna. My dear friend, I welcome you, she said. Krishna is so kind that he has sent. Krishna is so kind that he has again sent you. Krishna is so kind and affectionate to me 
that he has fortunately sent you back, in spite of your carrying my message against him. All good fortune to you, my dear friend. Now you may ask from me whatever you want. I shall give you anything, because you are so kind to me. You have come to take me to Krishna because he is not able to come here, being surrounded by new girlfriends in Mathura. But you are a tiny creature. How can you take me there? How will you be able to help me meet Krishna while he is taking rest there with the goddess of fortune and embracing her to his chest? Never mind. Let us forget all these things about my going there or sending you. Please let me know how Krishna is faring in Mathura. Tell me if he still remembers his foster father, Nanda Maharaj, his affectionate mother Yashoda, his cowherd friends, and his poor friends like us, the gopis. I am sure he must sometimes sing about us, who served him just like maidservants without any, without any payment. Is there any possibility that Krishna will come back and place his aguru-scented hand on our heads? Please, put all these inquiries to Krishna. Uddhava was standing near, and he heard Radharani talking in this way, as if she had become almost mad for Krishna. He was exceedingly surprised at how the gopis were accustomed to thinking of Krishna constantly in that topmost ecstasy of Mahabhav love. He had brought a message in writing from Krishna, and now he wanted to present it before the gopis, just to pacify them. He said, My dear gopis, your mission of human life is now successful. You are all wonderful devotees of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Therefore, you are eligible to be worshipped by all kinds of people. You are worshipable throughout the three worlds because your minds are wonderfully absorbed in the thought of Vasudeva, Krishna. He is the goal of all pious activities and ritualistic performances, such as giving charity, rigidly following the austerity of vows, undergoing severe penances, and igniting the fire of sacrifice. He is the purpose behind chanting different mantras, reading the Vedas, controlling the senses and concentrating the mind in meditation. These are some of the many different processes for self-realization and attainment of perfection of life. But actually, they are meant only for realizing Krishna and dovetailing oneself in the transcendental loving service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is the last instruction of the Bhagavad Gita also, although there are descriptions of different processes of self-realization. At the end, Krishna recommends that one give up everything and simply surrender unto Him. All other processes are meant for teaching, a, teaching one how to surrender ultimately unto the lotus feet of Krishna. The Bhagavad Gita also says that this surrendering process is completely completed by a sincere person after executing the processes of self-realization in wisdom and austerity for many births.
Hare Krishna. Thus ends the morning reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Thank you for joining us. We'll take it up again at 3.30 p.m. India time. And thanks to everyone who's joined us online from various places around the world. Hare Krishna. Gopre Marande Nitai Goda Hari Bo 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 Nitai Goda Hari Bo Nitai Goda Hari Bo Bo Hari Bo Nitai Goda Hari Bo Vanchakavdrusha, Kripas and Bevicha, Patitan and Pavnibio, Vaishnavibio, Namona Mahanantakoti, Vaishnavindiki, Jai. Lunch at two? You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare
Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama. 
Hade Krishna, Hade Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hade Hade, Hade Rama, Hade Rama, Rama Rama, Hade Hade. Hare Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare 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 Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Dhamma, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Dhamma, Hare Dhamma, Rama. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna Krishna Hare 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 Ram Hare Rama Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Ma Rama Rama Hare Hare Gaur Premanande Nitai Gauda Hari Bo Hari Bo Hari Bo Nitai Gauda Hari Bo 
Jaya Jaya Prabhu Pad Prabhu Pad Prabhu Pad Jaya Jaya Prabhu Pad Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivandarotamam Devim Sarasatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udiraye Nashtapraishu Bhadrishu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavatyutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naishtaki we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're taking up in the uh, midsection of chapter 47, delivery of the message of Krishna to the gopis. And we're starting with the paragraph that says, since the perfection of such austerity... Since the perfection of such austerity was completely manifested in the lives of the gopis, Uddhava was fully satisfied upon seeing their transcendental position. He continued, My dear gopis, the mentality you have developed in relationship with Krishna is very, very difficult to attain, even for great sages and saintly persons. You have attained the highest perfectional stage of life. It is a great boon for you that you have fixed your minds upon Krishna and have decided to have Krishna only, giving up your families, homes, relatives, husbands, and children for the sake of the Supreme Personality. Because your minds are now fully absorbed in Krishna, the Supreme Soul, universal love has automatically developed in you. I think myself very fortunate that I have been favored by your grace to see you in this situation. When Uddhava said that he had a message from Krishna, the gopis were more interested in hearing the message than in hearing about their exalted position. They did not very much like being praised for their high position. They showed their anxiety to hear the message of Uddhava. They showed their anxiety to hear the message Uddhava had brought from Krishna. Uddhava said, My dear gopis, I am especially deputed to carry this message to you who are such great and gentle devotees. Krishna has specifically sent me to you because I am his most confidential servitor. Uddhava did not deliver to the gopis the written message brought from Krishna, but he personally read it to them. The message was very gravely written so that not only the gopis, but all empiric philosophers might understand how pure love of God is intrinsically integrated with all the different energies of the Supreme Lord. 
From Vedic information, it is understood that the Supreme Lord has multi-energies. Parasa, Shaktir, Vivadaiva, Shuyate. Also, the gopis were such intimate personal friends of Krishna that while he was writing the message for them, he was so moved that he could not write it distinctly. Uddhava, as a student of Brihaspati, had very sharp intelligence, so instead of handing over the written message, he thought it wise to read it personally and explain it to them. Uddhava continued, These are the words of the Personality of Godhead. My dear gopis, my dear friends, please know that separation between ourselves is impossible at any time, at any place, or under any circumstances, because I am all-pervading. This all-pervasiveness of Krishna is explained in the Bhagavad Gita in both the ninth and seventh chapters. In the ninth chapter, Krishna is described as all-pervasive. In his impersonal feature, everything rests in him, but it is not personally present everywhere. And in the seventh chapter, it is stated that the five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, and sky, and the three subtle elements, mind, intelligence, and ego, are all his inferior energies. But that there is another superior energy which is called the living entity. The living entities are also directly part and parcel of Krishna. Therefore, Krishna is both the material and the efficient cause of everything. He is always intermingled with everything as cause and effect. Not only the gopis, but all living entities are always inseparably connected with Krishna in all circumstances. The gopis, however, are perfectly and thoroughly in cognition of this relationship with Krishna, whereas the living entities under the spell of maya, the illusory energy, are forgetful of Krishna and think themselves separate identities having no connection with him. Love of Krishna or Krishna consciousness is therefore the perfection of real knowledge in understanding things as they are. Our minds can never be vacant. The mind is constantly occupied with some kind of thought, and the subject matter of such thought cannot be outside the eight elements of Krishna's energy. One who knows this philosophical aspect of all thoughts is actually a wise man, and he surrenders unto Krishna. The gopis are the epitome of this perfectional stage of knowledge. They are not simply mental speculators. Their minds are always in Krishna. The mind is nothing but the energy of Krishna. Actually, any person who can think, feel, and will cannot be separated from Krishna. But the stage in which he can understand his eternal relationship with Krishna is called Krishna consciousness. The diseased condition in which he cannot understand his eternal relationship with Krishna is the contaminated stage, or maya. Since the gopis are on the platform of pure transcendental knowledge, their minds are always filled with Krishna consciousness. For example, as there is no separation between fire and air, there is no separation between Krishna and the living entities. When the living entities forget Krishna, they are not in their normal condition. As for the gopis, because they are always thinking of Krishna, they are on the absolute stage of perfection in knowledge. The so-called empiric philosophers sometimes think that the path of bhakti is meant for less intelligent, the less intelligent. But unless the so-called man of knowledge comes to the platform of bhakti, his knowledge is certainly impure and imperfect. Actually, the stage of forgetfulness of our eternal relationship with Krishna is separation. But that 
is also illusory because there is no such separation. The gopis were not situated in the, that illusory condition of life. So even from the philosophical point of view, for them, there was no separation. Uddhava continued reading Krishna's message. Nothing is separate from me. The whole cosmic manifestation is resting on me and is not separate from me. Before the creation, I was existing. This is confirmed in the Vedic literature. Eko Narayana Asina Brahma Nashanaha. Nashanaha. Before creation, there was only Narayan. There was no Brahma and no Shiva. The whole cosmic manifestation is manipulated by the three modes of material nature. It is said that Brahma, the incarnation of the quality of passion, created this universe. But Brahma is the secondary creator. The original creator is Narayan. This is confirmed by Shankaracharya, Narayana Parovyaktat. Narayan is transcendental beyond this cosmic creation. In this way, nothing within this cosmic manifestation is separate from Krishna, although Krishna's original form is not visible in everything. Krishna creates, maintains, and annihilates the whole co cosmic manifestation by expanding himself in different incarnations. Everything is Krishna, and everything depends on Krishna, but he is not perceived in the material energy, and therefore it is called maya, or illusion. In the spiritual energy, however, Krishna is perceived at every step, in all circumstances. This perfectional stage of understanding is represented by the gopis. As Krishna is always aloof from the cosmic manifestation, although it is completely dependent on him, so a living entity is also completely aloof from his material conditional, conditioned life, although the material body has developed on the basis of spiritual existence. In the Bhagavad Gita, the whole cosmic manifestation is accepted as the mother of the living entities, and Krishna is the father. <clears throat> as the father impregnates the mother by injecting the living entity within the womb, Krishna injects all the living entities into the womb of the material nature. They come out in different bodies according to their different fruit of activities. But in all circumstances, the living entity is aloof from this material conditioned life. If we simply study our own bodies, we can understand how a living entity is always aloof from this bodily engagement. Every action of the body takes place by the interactions of the three modes of material nature. We can see at every moment many changes taking place in our bodies, but the spirit soul is aloof from all changes. One can neither create nor annihilate nor interfere with the actions of material nature. The living entity is therefore entrapped by the material body and conditioned in three stages, namely while awake, asleep, and unconscious. The mind acts throughout all three conditions of life. The living entity in his sleeping condition or dreaming condition sees something as real, and when he awake, he sees the same thing as unreal. It is concluded, therefore, that under certain circumstances, he accepts something as real, and under other circumstances, he accepts the very same thing as unreal. These matters are the subject of study for the empiric philosopher or the Sankhya yogi. To come to the right conclusion, Sankhya yogis undergo severe austerities and penances, practicing control of the senses and renunciation. All these different ways of determining the ultimate goal of life are compared to rivers, and Krishna is compared to the ocean. 
as the rivers flow down toward the ocean, all attempts for knowledge flow toward Krishna. After many, many births of endeavor, when one actually comes to Krishna, he attains the perfectional stage. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Klesho dikataraste sham, avyakta saktasam. All are pursuing the path of realizing me, but those who have adopted courses without any bhakti find their endeavor very troublesome. Krishna cannot be understood unless one comes to the point of bhakti. I see what's coming down. I see. I can see. Don't you worry. Three paths are enunciated in the Bhagavad Gita. <coughs> Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, and Bhakti Yoga. <coughs> Those who are too much addicted to fruitive activities are advised to perform actions which will bring, one, bring them to Bhakti. Those who are addicted to the pursuit of empiric philosophy are also advised to act in such a way that they will realize bhakti. Karma yoga is therefore different from ordinary karma, and jnana yoga is different from ordinary jnana. Ultimately, as stated by the Lord in the Bhagavad Gita, bhaktya mam abhijanati. Although through execution of devotional service, only through execution of devotional service can one understand Krishna. The perfectional stage of devotional service <coughs> was achieved by the gopis because they did not care to know anything but Krishna. It is confirmed in the Vedas. Kasmin tu bhagavo bhigate sarvam idam bhigatam bhavatiti. This means that simply by knowing Krishna, one automatically acquires all other knowledge. Uddhava continued reading Krishna's message. Transcendental knowledge of the Absolute is no longer necessary for you. You were accustomed to loving me from the very beginning of your lives. Knowledge of the Absolute Truth is specifically required for persons who want liberation from material existence. But one who has attained love for Krishna is already on the platform of liberation. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Anyone engaged in unalloyed devotional service is to be considered situated on the transcendental platform of liberation. The gopis did not actually feel any pangs of material existence, but they felt the separation of Krishna. Krishna therefore said, My dear gopis, to increase your super-excellent love for me, I have purposely separated myself from you so that you may be in constant meditation on me. The gopis are in the perfectional stage of meditation. Yogis are generally more fond of meditating than of, than of executing devotional service to the Lord. But they do not know that the perfection of the yoga system is the attainment of devotion. <coughs> this constant meditation on Krishna by the gopis is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita to be the topmost yoga. Krishna knew very well 
the psychology of women. When a woman's beloved is away, she thinks of him more in meditation than when he is present before her. Krishna wanted to teach through the behavior of the gopis that one who is constantly in trance, like the gopis, surely attains his lotus feet. Lord Chaitanya taught people in general the method of vipalambra seva, which is the method of rendering service <coughs> unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead in the feeling of separation. The six Goswamis also taught worship of Krishna in the feeling of the gopis in separation. The prayers composed by Srinivasacharya about the Goswamis explain these matters very clearly. Srinivasacharya said that the gopis were always absorbed in the ocean of transcendental feelings in the mood of the gopis. Maybe I get it. I did say that wrong. The prayer, the prayers composed by Srinivasacharya about the Goswamis explain these matters very clearly. Srinivasacharya said that the Goswamis were always absorbed in the ocean of transcendental feeling in the mood of the gopis. When they lived in Vrindavan, they were searching for Krishna, crying, Where are you, Krishna? O gopis, where are you? Where are you, Srimati Radharani? They never said, We have now seen Radha and Krishna, and therefore our mission is fulfilled. Their mission remained always unfulfilled. They never met Radha and Krishna. Krishna reminded the gopis that at the time of the rasa dance, those gopis who could not join him for the rasa lila gave up their bodies simply by thinking of him. Absorption in Krishna consciousness by feeling separation is thus the quickest method for attainment of the lotus feet of Krishna. By the personal statement of Krishna, the gopis were convinced about the strength of feelings of separation. They were actually experiencing the supernatural method of Krishna worship and were much relieved by understanding that Krishna was not, all, was not away from them, but always with them. The gopis therefore received Uddhava very happily and began to speak as follows. We have heard that King Kangsa, who was always a source of trouble for the Yadu dynasty, has now been killed. This is good news for us. We hope, therefore, that the members of the Yadu dynasty are very happy in the association of Krishna, who can fulfill all the desires of his devotees. My dear Uddhava, kindly let us know whether Krishna sometimes thinks of us while in the midst of the highly enlightened society girls in Mathura. We know that the women and girls in Mathura are not village women. They are enlightened and beautiful. Their bashful smiling glances and other feminine features must be very pleasing to Krishna. We know very well that Krishna is always fond of the behavior of beautiful women. It seems, therefore, that he has been entrapped by the women of Mathura. My dear Uddhava, will you kindly let us know if Krishna sometimes remembers us while in the midst of other women? Another gopi inquired, does he remember that night in the midst of the uh, Komuda flowers and moonlight 
when Vrindavan became exceedingly beautiful, Krishna was dancing with us, and the atmosphere was surcharged with the sound of footbells. We exchanged pleasing conversation then. Does he remember that particular night? We remember that night, and we, and we feel separation. Separation from Krishna makes us agitated, as if there were fire in our bodies. Does he propose to come back to Vrindavan to extinguish that fire, just as a cloud appears in the sky to extinguish a forest fire by its downpour? Another gopi said, Krishna has killed his enemy and he has victoriously achieved the kingdom of Kangsa. Maybe he is married with the king's daughter by this time and living happily among his kinsmen and friends. Therefore, why should he come to this village of Vrindavan? Another gopi said, Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, the husband of the goddess of fortune, and he is self-sufficient. He has no business either with us, the girls in the Vrindavan forest, or with the city girls in Mathura. He is the great super soul. He has nothing to do with any of us, either here or there. Another gopi said, it is unreasonable, it is an, it is an unreasonable hope for us to expect Krishna to come back to Vrindavan. We should try instead to be happy in disappointment. Even Pingala, the great prostitute, said that disappointment is the greatest pleasure. We know all these things, but it is very difficult for us to give up the expectation of Krishna's coming back. Who can forget a solitary conversation with Krishna on whose chest the goddess of fortune always remains, in spite of Krishna's not desiring her. My dear Uddhava, Vrindavan is the land of rivers, forests, and cows. Here the vibration of the flute was heard, and Krishna, along with his elder brother, Sri Balaram, enjoyed the atmosphere in our company. Thus the environment of Vrindavan constantly reminds us of Krishna and Balaram. On the land of Vrindavan are the impressions of his footprints, the residence of the goddess of fortune, and because of such signs, we cannot forget Krishna. The gopis further expressed that Vrindavan was still full of all opulence and good fortune. There was no scarcity or want in Vrindavan as far as material necessities were concerned. But in spite of such opulence, they could never forget Krishna and Balaram. We constantly remember various attractive features of beautiful Krishna, his walking, his smiling, his joking words. We have all become lost by the dealings of Krishna, and it is impossible for us to forget him. We always pray to him, exclaiming, Dear Lord, dear husband of the goddess of fortune, dear Lord of Vrindavan, and deliverer of the distressed devotees. That's weird. Sorry. We have all become lost by dealings, the dealings of Krishna, and it is impossible for us to forget him. We always pray to him, exclaiming, Dear Lord, dear husband of the goddess of fortune, 
Dear Lord of Vrindavan and deliverer of the distressed devotees, we have now fallen and merged into the, an ocean of distress. Please, therefore, come back to Vrindavan and deliver us from this pitiable condition. Uddhava minutely studied the transcendental abnormal condition of the gopis in their separation from Krishna, and he thought it wise to repeat again and again all the pastimes they had enjoyed with him. Materialistic persons are always burning in a blazing fire of material miseries. The gopis were burning in a transcendental blazing fire due to separation from Krishna. The blazing fire exasperating the gopis, however, is different from the fire of the material world. The gopis constantly wanted the association of Krishna, whereas materialistic persons constantly want the advantage of material comforts. It is stated by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur that Krishna saved the coward boys from the blazing fire, forest fire, within a second, while their eyes were closed. Similarly, Uddhava advised the gopis that they could be saved from the fire of separation by closing their eyes and meditating on the activities of Krishna from the very beginning of their association with him. From the outside, the gopis could visualize all the pastimes of Krishna by hearing the descriptions of Uddhava, and from within, they could remember those pastimes. From the instructions of Uddhava, the gopis could understand that Krishna was not separate from them. As they were constantly thinking of Krishna, Krishna was also thinking of them constantly at Mathura. Can you speak to that knob in the, over the area? The one above us? It's the knob closest to you. Uddhava's messages and instructions saved the gopis from immediate death. And the gopis acknowledged the benediction from Uddhava. Uddhava practically acted as the preceptor, spiritual master of the gopis, and in return they worshipped him as they would worship Krishna. It is recommended in authoritative scriptures that the spiritual master be worshipped on the level of the Supreme Personality of Godhead because of being his very confidential servitor. And it is accepted by great authorities that the spiritual master is the external <coughs> manifestation of Krishna. The gopis were relieved from their transcendental burning condition by realizing that Krishna was with them. Internally, they remembered his association within their hearts, and externally, Uddhava helped them associate with Krishna by his conclusive instructions. The Supreme Personality of God is described in the scriptures as adhoksaja, which indicates that he is beyond the perception of all material senses. Although beyond the material senses, he is present in everyone's heart. At the same time, he is present everywhere by his all-pervasive feature of Brahman. One can realize all three transcendental features of the Absolute Truth, Bhagavan, the Personality of Godhead, Paramatma, the localized Supersoul, and the all-pervasive Brahman. Simply by studying the condition of the gopis in their meeting with Uddhava, as described in Srimad Bhagavatam. It is said by Srinivasacharya that the six Goswamis were always merged in thoughts of the activities of the gopis. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has also recommended the gopis' method of worshipping the Supreme Personality of Godhead as super excellent. Srila Shukadeva Goswami has also recommended that anyone who hears from the right source about the dealings of the gopis with Krishna and who follows the instructions laid down by the previous acharyas 
will be elevated to the topmost position of devotional service and be able to give up the lust of material enjoyment. All the gopis were solaced by the instructions of Uddhava, and they requested him to stay in Vrindavan for a few days more. Uddhava agreed to their proposal and stayed with them not only for a few days, but for a few months. He always kept them engaged in thinking of the transcendental message of Krishna and his pastimes, and the gopis felt as if they were experiencing direct association with Krishna. While Uddhava remained in Vrindavana, the inhabitants enjoyed his association. As they discussed the activities of Krishna, the days passed just like moments. Vrindavana's natural atmosphere with the presence of the river Jamuna, its nice orchards of trees decorated with various fruits, Govardhan Hill, caves, blooming flowers, all combined to inspire Uddhava to narrate Krishna's pastimes. The inhabitants enjoyed Uddhava's association in the same way that they enjoyed the association of Krishna. Uddhava was attracted by the attitude of the gopis because they were completely attached to Krishna. And he was inspired by the gopis' anxiety for Krishna. He offered them his respectful obeisances and composed songs in praise of their transcendental qualities as follows. Among all the living entities who have accepted the human form of life, the gopis are super excellently, excellently successful in their mission. Their thought is eternally absorbed in the lotus feet of Krishna. Great sages and we ourselves also try to be absorbed in meditation on the lotus feet of Krishna. But the gopis, having lovingly accepted the Lord, are automatically accustomed to this and do not depend on any yogic practice. The conclusion is that one who has attained the gopis' condition of life does not have to take birth as Lord Brahma or be born in a Brahmana family or be initiated as a Brahmana. Sri Uddhava confirmed Lord Krishna's statement in the Bhagavad Gita that one who takes shelter of him for the right purpose, be that person a shudra, a woman, or a member of, the low grade of a low-grade family, will attain the highest goal of life. The gopis have set the standard of devotion for the whole world. One who follows in the footsteps of the gopis by constantly thinking of Krishna can attain the highest perfectional stage of spiritual life. The gopis were born not of any highly cultured family, but of cowherd men, yet they developed the highest love of Krishna, who is the super soul, the supreme personality of God, and the supreme Brahman. For self-realization or God-realization, there is no need to take birth in a high family. The only thing needed is development of ecstatic love of God. For achieving perfection in Krishna consciousness, no qualification is required other than to be constantly engaged in the loving service of Krishna, the supreme nectar, the reservoir of all pleasure. The effect of taking up Krishna consciousness is just like that of drinking nectar. With or without one's knowledge, it will act. The effect of taking up Krishna consciousness is just like that of drinking nectar. With or without one's knowledge, it will act. The active principle of Krishna consciousness will equally manifest itself everywhere. It does not matter how and where one has taken his birth. Krishna will bestow his benediction upon anyone who takes to Krishna consciousness without any doubt. Uddhava continued, 
The supreme benediction attained by the gopis, in spite of their being born in the families of coward men, was never attained even by the goddess of fortune herself, and certainly not by the denizens of heaven, though the bodily scent of the women there is exactly like the scent of the lotus. The gopis are so fortunate that during the rasa lila, Krishna personally embraced them with his arms and kissed them face to face. Certainly it is not possible for any woman in the three worlds to achieve this except the gopis. Therefore, I wish to take birth as one of the plants or creepers in Vrindavan, who are so fortunate that the gopis trample them. The gopis have so lovingly served Krishna, Mukunda himself, the giver of liberation, who is searched after by great sages and saintly persons. For his sake, they left everything, their families, their children, their friends, their homes, and all their worldly connections. Uddhava appreciated the exalted position of the gopis and wished to fall down and take the dust of their feet on his head. Yet he dared not ask the gopis to offer the dust from their feet. Perhaps they would not be agreeable. Therefore, to have his head smeared with the dust of the gopis' feet without their knowledge, he desired to become only an insignificant clump of grass or herbs in the land of Vrindavan. The gopis were so much attracted to Krishna that when they heard the vibration of his flute, they instantly left their homes, families, children, honor, and feminine bashfulness and ran toward the place where Krishna was standing. They did not consider whether they were passing over the road or through the jungles. Imperceptibly, the dust of their feet was bestowed upon small grasses and herbs of Vrindavan. Not daring to place the dust of the gopi's feet on his own head in this life, Uddhava aspired to have, such, uh, to have a future birth in Vrindavan in the position of a clump of grass or herbs. He would then be able to have the dust of the gopi's feet. Uddhava appreciated the extraordinary fortune of the gopis. Who were, who were relieved of all material pangs and anxieties by placing on their beautiful high breasts the lotus feet of Krishna, which are worshipped not only by the goddess of fortune, but by such exalted demigods as Brahma and Lord Shiva, and which great yogis meditate upon within their hearts. Thus Uddhava prayed to be constantly honored by the dust from the lotus feet of the gopis, whose chanting of Lord Krishna's transcendental pastimes has become celebrated all over the three worlds. After living in Vrindavan for some time, Uddhava desired to go back to Krishna, and he begged permission to leave from, to leave from Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda. He had a farewell meeting with the gopis, and taking permission from them also, he mounted his chariot to start for Mathura. When Uddhava was about to leave, all the inhabitants of Vrindavan, headed by Maharaj Nanda and Yashoda, came to bid him goodbye and presented him with various kinds of viable goods secured in Vrindavan. They expressed their feelings with tears in their eyes, 
due to intense attachment for Krishna. All of them desired a benediction from Uddhava. They desired to always remember the glorious activities of Krishna and wanted their minds to be always fixed upon his lotus feet, their words to be always engaged in glorifying him, and their bodies to be always engaged in bowing down as they constantly remembered him. This prayer of the inhabitants of Vrindavan is the super-excellent type of self-realization. The method is very simple, to fix the mind always on the lotus feet of Krishna, to talk always of Krishna without passing on to any other subject matter, and to engage the body in Krishna's service constantly. Especially in this human form of life, one should engage his life, resources, words, and intelligence for the service of the Lord. Only such activities can elevate a human being to the highest level of perfection. This is the verdict of all authorities. The inhabitants of Vrindavan said, by the will of the supreme authority and according to the results of our own work, we may take our birth anywhere. It doesn't matter where we are born, but our only, but our only prayer is that we may simply be engaged in Krishna consciousness. <clears throat> A pure devotee of Lord Krishna never desires to be promoted to the heavenly planets or even to Vaikuntha or Goloka Vrindavan because he has no desire for his own personal satisfaction. A pure devotee regards heaven and hell to be on an equal level. Without Krishna, heaven is hell, and with Krishna, hell is heaven. When Uddhava had been fully honored and worshipped by the pure devotees of Vrindavan, he returned to Mathura and to his master, Krishna. After offering respects by bowing down before Lord Krishna and Balaram, he described the wonderful devotional life of the inhabitants of Vrindavan. Then he presented to Vasudeva, Krishna's father, and Ugrasena, Krishna's grandfather, all the gifts given by the inhabitants of Vrindavan. Thus ends the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 47th chapter of Krishna. Delivery of the message of Krishna to the gopis. Forty-eight. Krishna pleases his devotees. For days together, Krishna heard from Uddhava all the details of his visit to Vrindavan, especially the condition of his father and mother and of the gopis and the cowherd boys. Lord Krishna was fully satisfied that Uddhava was able to solace them by his instructions and by the message delivered to them. Lord Krishna then decided to go to the house of Kubja, the hunchback woman 
who had pleased him by offering him sandalwood pulp when he was entering the city of Mathura. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna always tries to please his devotees as much as the devotees try to please Krishna. As the devotees always think of Krishna within their hearts, Krishna always thinks of his devotees within himself. When Kubja was converted into a beautiful society girl, she wanted Krishna to come to her place so that she could try to receive and worship him in her own way. Society girls generally try to satisfy their clients by offering their bodies for the men to enjoy. But this society girl, Kubja, was actually captivated by a lust to satisfy her senses with Krishna. When Krishna desired to go to the house of Kubja, he certainly had no desire for sense gratification. By supplying the sandalwood pulp to Krishna, Kubja had already satisfied his senses. On the plea of her sense gratification, however, he decided to go to her house, not actually for sense gratification, but to turn her into a pure devotee. Krishna is always served by many thousands of goddesses of fortune. Therefore, he has no need to satisfy his senses by going to a society girl. But because he is kind to everyone, he decided to go there. It is said that the moon does not withhold its shining from the courtyard of a, cro of a crooked person. Similarly, Krishna's transcendental mercy is never denied to anyone who has rendered service unto him, whether through lust, anger, fear, or pure love. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is stated that if one wants to serve Krishna and at the same time wants to satisfy his own lusty desires, Krishna will handle the situation so that the devotee forgets his lusty desires and becomes fully purified and constantly engaged in the service of the Lord. To fulfill his promise, Krishna, along with Uddhava, went to the house of Kubja, who was very eager to get Krishna for the satisfaction of her lusty desires. When Krishna reached her house, he saw that it was completely decorated in a way to excite the lusty desires of a man. This suggests that there were many nude pictures, on top of which were canopies and flags embroidered with pearl necklaces, along with comfortable beds and cushioned chairs. The rooms were provided with flower garlands and were nicely scented with incense and sprinkled with scented water. And the rooms were illuminated by, light, by nice lamps. When Kubja saw that Lord Krishna had come to her house to fulfill his promised visit, she immediately got up from her chair to receive him cordially. Accompanied by her many girlfriends, she began to talk with him with great respect and honor. After offering him a nice place to sit, she worshipped Lord Krishna in a manner just suitable to her position. Uddhava was similarly received by Kubja and her girlfriends, but he did not want to sit on an equal level with Krishna, and thus he simply sat down on the floor. As one usually does in such situations, Krishna entered the bedroom of Kubja without wasting time. 
In the meantime, Kudra took her bath and smeared her body with sandalwood pulp. She dressed herself with nice garments, valuable jewelry, ornaments, and flower garlands. After chewing betel nut and other intoxicating eatables and spraying herself with scents, she appeared before Krishna. Her smiling glance and moving eyebrows were full of feminine bashfulness as she stood gracefully before Lord Krishna, who is known as Madhva, the husband of the goddess of fortune. When Krishna saw Kubja hesitating to come before him, he immediately caught hold of her hand, which was decorated with bangles. With great affection, he dragged her near him and made her sit by his side. Simply by having previously supplied pulp of sandalwood to the Supreme Lord, Krishna, Kubja became free from all sinful reactions and eligible to enjoy with him. She then took Krishna's lotus feet and placed them on her breasts, which were burning with the blazing fire of lust. By smelling the fragrance of Krishna's lotus feet, she was immediately relieved of all lusty desires. She was thus allowed to embrace Krishna with her arms and mitigate her long-cherished desire to have him as a visitor in her house. It is stated in the Bhagavad Gita that one must be freed of all material sinful reactions before one can engage in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. Simply by supplying sandalwood pulp to Krishna, Kubja was thus rewarded. She was not trained to worship Krishna in any other way. Therefore, she wanted to satisfy him by her profession. It is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita that the Lord can be worshipped even by one's profession and that it is sincerely offered for the pleasure of the Lord. If it is sincerely offered for the pleasure of the Lord. Kubja told Krishna, My dear friend, kindly remain with me at least for a few days and enjoy with me. My dear lotus-eyed friend, I cannot leave you immediately. Please grant my request. We need that Vishnu Chakravarti talk for. As stated in the Vedic versions, the Supreme Personality of Godhead has multipotencies. According to expert opinion, Kubja represents the Bhu Shakti potency of Krishna, just as Srimati Radharani represents his Chit Shakti potency. Although Kubja requested Krishna to remain with her for some days, Krishna politely impressed upon her that it was impossible, excuse me, that it was not possible for him to stay. Krishna visits this, this material world occasionally, whereas his connection with the spiritual world is eternal. Krishna is always present either in the Vaikuntha planets or in the Goloka Vrindavan planet. The technical term of his presence in the spiritual world is Aprakat Lila. After satisfying Kubja with sweet words, Krishna returned home with Uddhava. There is a warning in Srimad Bhagavatam that Krishna is not very easily worshipped, for he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the chief among the Vishnu Tattvas. To worship Krishna or have association with him is not very easy. Specifically, there is a warning for devotees attracted to Krishna through conjugal love. It is not good for them to desire sense gratification by direct association with Krishna. Actually, the activities of sense gratification are material. In the spiritual world, there are symptoms like kissing and embracing, but there is no sense gratificatory process as it exists in the material world. This warning is specifically for those known as sahajyas, who take it for granted 
that Krishna is an ordinary human being. They desire to enjoy sex life with him in a perverted way. In a spiritual relationship, sense gratification is most insignificant. Anyone who desires a relationship of perverted sense gratification with Krishna must be considered less intelligent. His mentality requires to be reformed. Thank you. After a while, Krishna fulfilled his promise to visit Akura at his house. Akura was in relationship with Krishna as his servitor, and Krishna wanted to get some service from him. He went there accompanied by Lord Balaram and Uddhava. When Krishna, Balaram, and Uddhava approached the house of Akura, Akura came forward, embraced Uddhava, and offered respectful obeisances, bowing down before Lord Krishna and Balaram. Krishna, Balaram, and Uddhava offered him obeisances in turn and were offered appropriate sitting places. When all were comfortably seated, Akura washed their feet and sprinkled the water on his head. Then he offered nice clothing, flowers, and sandalwood pulp in regular worship. All three of them were very satisfied by Akura's behavior. Akura then bowed down before Krishna, putting his head on the ground. Then, placing Krishna's lotus feet on his lap, Akura gently began to massage them. When Akura was fully satisfied in the presence of Krishna and Balaram, his eyes filled with tears of love for Krishna, and he began to offer his prayers as follows. My dear Lord Krishna and Balaram, it is very kind of you to have killed Kamsa and his associates. You have delivered the whole family of the Yadu dynasty from the greatest calamity. The Yadus will always remember your saving of their great dynasty. My dear Lord Krishna and Balaram, both of you are the original personality from whom everything has emanated, the original cause of all causes. You have inconceivable energy and you are all pervasive. There is no cause and effect, gross or subtle, but you. You are the supreme Brahman realized through the study of the Vedas. By your inconceivable energy, you are actually visible before us. You create this cosmic manifestation by your own potencies, and you enter into it yourself. As the five material elements, earth, water, fire, air, and sky, are distributed in everything manifested by different kinds of bodies, so you alone enter the various bodies created by your own energy. You enter the body as the individual soul and independently as the supersoul. As it is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita that the material body is created by Krishna's inferior energy, that the living entities, the individual souls, are his parts and parcels, and that the supersoul is his localized representation. Thus, while the material body, the living entity, and the supersoul constitute an individual living being, originally they are all different energies of the one Supreme Lord. Akrura continued, in the material world, you create, maintain, and dissolve the whole manifestation by the interactions of the three material qualities, namely goodness, passion, and ignorance. But you are not implicated in the activities of those material qualities, for your supreme knowledge is never overcome like the knowledge of the individual living entity. The Supreme Lord enters the material cosmos and causes creation, maintenance, and destruction in their due course, whereas the part and parcel living entity 
enters the material elements and has his material body created for him. The difference between the living entity and the Lord is that the living entity is part and parcel of the Supreme Lord and has the tendency to be overcome by the interactions of the material qualities. Krishna, the Parabrahman, or the Supreme Brahman, being always situated in full knowledge, is never overcome by such activities. Therefore, Krishna is called Achuta, meaning he who never falls down. Krishna's knowledge of his spiritual identity is never overcome by material action, whereas the minute part and parcel living entities are prone to forget their spiritual identity due to material action. The individual living entities are eternally part and parcel of God, minute sparks of the original fire, Krishna. As sparks are prone to be extinguished, but not the blazing fire, so the living entities can be overcome by material activities, whereas Krishna never can. Akura continued, Less intelligent men misunderstand your transcendental form to be made of material energy, but that concept is not at all applicable to you. Actually, you are all spiritual, and there is no difference between you and your body. Therefore, there is no question of your being conditioned or liberated. You are ever liberated in any condition of life. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, only fools and rascals consider you an ordinary man. To consider your lordship one of us, conditioned by the material nature, is a mistake due to our imperfect knowledge. When people... When people deviate from the original knowledge of the Vedas, they try to identify the ordinary living entities with your lordship who have appeared on this earth in your original form to reestablish the real knowledge that the living entities are neither one with nor equal to the Supreme God. My dear Lord, you are always situated in uncontaminated goodness, shuddha sattva. Their appearance is never, your appearance is necessary to reestablish actual Vedic knowledge as opposed to the atheistic philosophy which tries to establish that God and the living entities are one and the same. My dear Lord Krishna, this time you have appeared in the home of Vasudev as his son with your plenary expansion, Sri Balaram. Your mission is to kill all the atheistic royal families and destroy their huge military strength. You have invented yourself to minimize the burden of the world and to fulfill this mission, you have glorified the dynasty of Yadu by appearing as one of its members. <clears throat> my dear Lord, today my home has been purified by your presence. I have become the most fortunate person in the world, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is worshipable by all different kinds of demigods, pitas, kings, emperors, and all and other living entities, and who is the super soul of everything, has come to my home, has come into my home. The water of his lotus feet purifies the three worlds, and now he has kindly come to my place. Who in the three worlds, among factually learned men, will not take shelter of your lotus feet and surrender unto you? Who, knowing well that no one can be as affectionate as you are to your devotees, is so foolish that he will decline to become your devotee? 
Throughout the Vedic literature, it is declared that you are the dearmost friend of every living entity. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita, Suridam Sarvabhutanam. You are the Supreme Personality of Godhead, completely capable of fulfilling the desires of your devotees. You are the real friend of everyone. In spite of giving yourself to your devotees, you are never depleted of your original potency. Your potency neither decreases nor increases in volume. My dear Lord, it is very difficult for even great mystic yogis and demigods to ascertain your movements or approach you. Yet out of your causeless mercy, you have kindly consented to come to my home. This is the most auspicious moment in the journey of my material existence. By your grace only, I can now understand that my home, my wife, my children, and my worldly possessions are all bonds to material existence. Please cut the knot and save me from this entanglement of false society, friendship, and love. Lord Sri Krishna was very much pleased by Rakura's offering of prayers. With his smile captivating Akrura more and more, the Lord replied to his submissive devotional statements with the following sweet words. My dear Akrura, in spite of your submissiveness, I consider you my superior on the level with my father and teacher and most well-wishing friend. You are therefore to be worshipped by me and since you are my uncle, I am always to be protected by you. I desire, to, I desire you to maintain me, for I am one of your children. Apart from this filial relationship, an exalted devotee like you is always to be worshipped by everyone. Anyone who desires good fortune must offer his respectful obeisances unto personalities like you, who are greater than the demigods. People worship the demigods, anxious to know about the sons of Pandu, because at a very young age, they had lost their father. Being very friendly to his devotees, Krishna was anxious to know about them, and therefore he deputed Akrura to go to Hastinapur and get information of the real situation. Krishna continued, I have heard that after King Pandu's death, his young sons, Yudhishthir, Bhima, Arjuna, Nakula, and Sahadev, along with their widowed mother, have come under the charge of Dhritarashtra, who is to look after them as their guardian. But I have also heard that Dhritarashtra is not only blind from birth, but also blind in his affection for his cruel son, Duryodhan. The five Pandavas are the sons of Pink King Pandu, but Dhritarashtra, due to Duryodhan's plans and designs, is not favorably disposed toward them. Kindly go there and study how Dhritarashtra is dealing with the Pandavas. On receipt of your report, I shall consider how to favor them. In this way, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna ordered Akrura to go to Hastinapur, and then he returned home, accompanied by Balaram and Uddhava. Thus end the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 48th chapter of Krishna, Krishna pleases his devotees.
Chapter 49. Ill-motivated Dhritarashtra. <clears throat> Thus ordered by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, Akrura vis visited Hastinapur, said to be the site of what is now New Delhi. The part of New Delhi, still known as Interprasta, is accepted by people in general as the old capital of the Pandavas. The very name Hastinapur suggests that there were many Hastis or elephants. Because the Pandavas kept many elephants in the capital, it was called Hastinapur. Keeping elephants is very expensive. To keep many elephants, therefore, the kingdom must be very rich. And Hastinapur, as Akrura saw when he reached it, was full of elephants, horses, chariots, and other opulences. The kings of Hastinapur were taken to be the ruling kings of the whole world. Their fame was widely spread throughout the entire kingdom, and their administration was conducted under the good counsel of learned Brahmanas. After seeing the very opulent capital city, Akrura met King, met King Dhritarashtra. He also saw Grandfather Bhishma sitting with him. After meeting them, he went to see Vidura and then Kunti, Akrura's cousin. One after another, he saw King Balika and his son Somadatta, Dronacharya, Kripacharya, Karna, and Suyodhana. Suyodhana is another name for Duryodhana. Then he saw the sons of Dronacharya, Ashwatthama, the son of Dronacharya, Ashwatthama, as well as the five Pandava brothers and other friends and relatives living in the city. All those who met Akrura, known also as the son of Gandini, were very much pleased to receive him and inquire about the welfare of their respective relatives. He was offered a good seat at his receptions and he in turn inquired about the welfare and activities of his relatives. Since he was deputed by Lord Krishna to visit Hastinapur, it is understood that he was very intelligent in studying a diplomatic situation. Dhritarashtra was unlawfully occupying the throne after the death of King Pandu, despite the presence of Pandu's sons. Akrura could understand very well that ill-motivated Dhritarashtra was much inclined in favor of his own sons. In fact, Dhritarashtra had already usurped the kingdom and was now intriguing to dispose of the five Pandava brothers. Akrura knew that all the sons of Dhritarashtra, headed by Duryodhana, were very crooked politicians. Dhritarashtra did not act in accordance with the good instructions given by Bhishma, and Vidura. Instead, he was being conducted by, by the ill instructions of such persons as Karna and Chakuni. Akrura decided to stay in Hastinapur for a few months to study the whole political situation. Gradually, Akrura learned from Kunti and Vidura that the sons of Dhritarashtra were intolerant and envious of the five Pandava brothers because of their extraordinary learning in military science 
and that they're greatly developed and their greatly developed bodily strength. The Pandavas acted as truly chivalrous, chival, chivalrous heroes, exhibited all the good qualities of Kshatriyas, and were very responsible princes, always thinking of the welfare of the citizens. Akrura also learned that the envious sons of Dhritarashtra had tried to kill the Pandavas by poisoning them. Akura happened to be one of the cousins of Kunti. Therefore, after meeting him, she began to inquire about her paternal relatives. Thinking of her birthplace and beginning to cry, she asked Akura whether her father, mother, brothers, sisters, and other friends at home still remembered her. She especially inquired about Krishna and Balaram, her glorious nephews. She asked, does Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is very affectionate to his devotees, remember my sons? Does Balaram remember, remember us? Inside himself, inside herself, Kunti felt like a she-deer in the midst of tigers, and actually her position was like that. After the death of her husband, King Pandu, she was supposed to take care of the five Pandava children, but the sons of Dhritarashtra were always planning to kill them. She was certainly living like a poor, innocent animal in the midst of several tigers. Being a devotee of Lord Krishna, she always thought of him and expected that one day Krishna would come and save them from their dangerous position. She inquired from Akura whether, Krishna's proposed, whether Krishna proposed to come to advise the fatherless Pandavas how to get free of the intrigues of Dhritarashtra and his sons. Talking with Akura about all these affairs, she felt herself helpless and exclaimed, My dear Krishna, my dear Krishna, you are the supreme mystic, the super soul of the universe. You are the real well-wisher of the whole universe. My dear Govinda, at this time you are far away from me, yet I pray to surrender unto your lotus feet. I am now grief-stricken with my five fatherless sons. I can fully understand that but for your lotus feet there is no shelter or protection. Your lotus feet can deliver all aggrieved souls because you are the supreme personality of Godhead. One can be safe from the clutches of repeated birth and death by your mercy only. My dear Krishna, you are the supreme pure one, the super soul and the master of all yogis. What can I say? I can simply offer my respectful obeisances unto you. Accept me as your fully surrendered devotee. Although Krishna was not present before her, Kunti offered her prayers to him as if she were in his presence face to face. This is possible for anyone following in the footsteps of Kunti. Krishna does not have to be physically present everywhere. He is actually present everywhere by spiritual potency and one simply has to surrender unto him sincerely. When Kunti was offering her prayers and very feelingly to Krishna, she could not check herself and began to cry loudly before Akura. Vidura was also present, and both Akura and Vidura became very sympathetic to the mother of the Pandavas and began to solace her by glorifying her five sons, namely Yudhishthira, Arjuna, Bhima, Nakula, and Sahadeva. They pacified her, saying that her sons were extraordinarily powerful. She should not be perturbed about them, since they were born of great demigods like Yamaraj, Indra, and Vayu. Akura decided to return home and report 
on the strange circumstances in which he found Kunti and her five sons. He first wanted to give good advice to Dhritarashtra, who was so favorably inclined toward his own sons and unfavorably inclined toward the Pandavas. When King Dhritarashtra was sitting among friends and relatives, Akura began to address him, calling him Vichitravirya. Vichitravirya means the son of Vichitravirya. Vichitravirya was the name of Dhritarashtra's father, but Dhritarashtra was actually the begotten son not of Vichitravirya, but of Vyasadeva. Formerly, it was the system that if a man was unable to beget a child, his brother could beget a child in the womb of his wife. Devarena Sutopate, Sutopati. That system is now forbidden in this age of Kali. Akura called Ritarashtra Vaichitravirya sarcastically because he was not actually begotten by his father. He was the son of Vyasadev. When a child was begotten in the wife by the husband's brother, the child was claimed by the husband, but of course the child was not begotten by the husband. This sarcastic remark pointed out that Dhritarashtra was falsely claiming the throne on hereditary grounds. Oops. Actually, Pandava had been the rightful king, and in the presence of Pandu's sons, the Pandavas, Dhritarashtra should not have occupied the throne. Akura said, My dear son of Vichitravirya, you have unlawfully usurped the throne of the Pandavas. Anyway, somehow or other, you are now on the throne. Therefore, I beg to advise you to please rule the kingdom on moral and ethical principles. If you do so and try to please your subjects in that way, your name and fame will be per perpetual. Akura hinted that although Dhritarashtra was ill-treating his nephews, the Pandavas, they happened to be his subjects. Even if you treat them not as the owners of the throne, but as your subjects, you should impartially think of their welfare as though they were your own sons. But if you do not follow this principle and act in just the opposite way, you will be unpopular among your subjects, and in the next life you'll have to live in a hellish condition. I therefore hope you will treat your sons and the sons of Pandu equally. Akura hinted, that if Dhritarashtra did not treat the Pandavas and his sons as equals, surely there would be a fight between the two camps of cousins. Since the Pandavas' cause was just, they would come out victorious and the sons of Dhritarashtra would be killed. This was a prophecy told by Akura to Dhritarashtra. Akura further advised Dhritarashtra, in this material world, no one can remain an eternal companion to another. Only by chance do we assemble together in a family, society, community, or nation. But at the end, because every one of us has to give up the body, we must be separated. One should not, therefore, be unnecessarily affectionate toward family members. Dhritarashtra's affection was also unlawful. It did not show much intelligence. In plain words, Akrura hinted to Dhritarashtra that his staunch family affection was due to his gross ignorance of fact or his blindness to material principles, or his blindness to moral principles. Although we appear combined together in a family, society, or nation, each of us has an individual destiny. Everyone takes birth according to individual past work. 
Therefore, everyone must individually enjoy or suffer the result of his own karma. There is no possibility of improving one's destiny by cooperative living. Huh? I got to read that again. There's no possibility of improving one's own destiny, one's own, one's destiny by cooperative living. Sometimes it happens that one's father accumulates wealth by illegal ways and the son takes away the money, although it was earned with great difficulty by the father, just as a small fish in the ocean eats the material body of a large old fish. One ultimately cannot accumulate wealth illegally for the gratification of his family, society, community, or nation. An illustration of this principle is that many great empires which developed in the past are no longer existing because their wealth was squandered away by later descendants. One who does not know this subtle law of fruit of activities and who thus gives up the moral and ethical principles carries with him only the reactions of his sinful activities. His ill-gotten wealth and possessions are taken by someone else, and he goes to the darkest region of hellish life. One should not therefore accumulate more wealth than allotted to him by destiny. Otherwise, he will be factually blind to his own interest. Instead of fulfilling his self-interest, he will act in just the opposite way for his own downfall. <clears throat> Akrura continued, My dear Dhritarashtra, I beg to advise you not to be blind to the facts of material existence. Material conditioned life, either in distress or in happiness, is to be accepted as a dream. One should, one should try to bring his mind and senses under control and live peacefully for spiritual advancement in Krishna consciousness. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that except for persons in Krishna consciousness, everyone is always disturbed in mind and full of anxiety. Even those trying for liberation or merging into the Brahman effulgence and the yogis who try to achieve perfection and mystic power cannot have peace of mind. Pure devotees of Krishna have no demands to make of Krishna. They are simply satisfied with service to him. Actual peace and mental tranquility can be attained only in perfect Krishna consciousness. After hearing these moral instructions from Akrura, Dhritarashtra replied, My dear Akrura, you are very charitable in giving me good instructions, but unfortunately I cannot accept them. A person destined to die does not utilize the effects of nectar, although it may be administered to him. I can understand that your instructions are valuable. Unfortunately, they do not stay in my flickering mind. Just as the glittering lightning in the sky does not stay fixed in a cloud. I can understand only that, there, that no one can stop the onward progress of the Supreme Will. I understand that the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna has appeared in the family of the Yadus to decrease the burdensome load of this earth. Dhritarashtra hinted to Akrura that he had complete faith in Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. At the same time, 
he was very partial to his family members. In the very near future, Krishna would vanquish all the members of his family. And in a helpless condition, Dhritarashtra would take shelter of Krishna's lotus feet. To show his special favor to a devotee, Krishna usually takes away all the objects of his material affection, thus forcing the devotee to be materially helpless, with no alternative to accept the lotus feet of Krishna. This actually happened to Dhritarashtra after the end of the battle of Kurukshetra. Dhritarashtra could realize <coughs> Dhritarashtra could realize two opposing factors acting before him. He could understand that, Kri that Krishna was there to remove all the unnecessary burdens of the world. His sons were an unnecessary burden and so he expected that they would be killed. At the same time, he could not rid himself of his unlawful affection for his sons. Understanding these two contradictory factors, he offered his respectful obeisances to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The contradictory ways of material existence are very difficult to understand. They can be taken only as the inconceivable execution of the plan of the Supreme, who by his inconceivable energy creates this material world and enters into it and sets it, and sets it into motion the three modes of nature. When everything is created, he enters into each and every living entity and into the smallest atom. No one can understand the incalculable plans of the Supreme Lord. After hearing this statement, Akrura could clearly understand that Dhritarashtra was not going to change his policy of discriminating against the Pandavas in favor of his sons. He at once took leave of his friends in Hastinapur and returned to his home in the kingdom of the Yadus. After returning home, he vividly informed Lord Krishna and Balaram of the actual situation in Hastinapur and the intentions of Dhritarashtra. Akrura was sent to Hastinapur by Krishna to study these, and by the grace of the Lord, he was successful. Thus, in the Bhaktivedanta purport of the 49th chapter of Krishna, ill-motivated Dhritarashtra. And that brings us to the cow break. We'll be back here at 20, 22 and a half minutes after the hour. Hare Krishna. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.